0: Welcome to another episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bott from Sports Advantage. I'm here with my co-host, Coach Dean Manchey from the Fox Valley Throws, Kimberly Papermakers. Coach, how are we
1: doing over there? Doing awesome and super excited. we got a guy that we've heard speak many a times and now finally we got him on our podcast. So it's going to be a well, good how, one.
0: How's the foot? How's the foot doing? Our What's little, going? You're a little hobbled up there, Okay.
1: Uh, it's a little hard not being able to move around and do the daily activities. So I like to get up, get a workout in, and it's four weeks non-weight-bearing, and today I get the stitches out right after we do this podcast, so that'll help with that itch.
0: You know the good thing about lower body injuries, Coach, right? You can always do bicep curls. All right, so we want to get to our guest here. He's He's a guy that been ultra busy over the last couple months. Um, started the ethics sports performance uh, facility over um, in the Milwaukee area. I believe that's where it's at. Um, he's the director of sports performance. He has uh, been a colleague of mine. He's a former athlete of mine. Um, and he's someone who I really, really look up to in our industry because he is really um, a front runner in speed development and just all around training and the best part about Matt Gifford who we're bringing on our show right now is um, he's a fantastic human being. And for me as a, as a former coach, I love having former athletes of mine on here and watching to see what they've become as, as men and women. And so Giff, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, so Tagger, brother, uh, let, let, uh, let our listeners know what you've been doing, what you've been up to, and things like that, Matt. The floor is yours, brother.
2: Hey guys, um, Brian and Dean, thanks for having me on. Uh, for the listeners, super super exciting for me. It's a full circle moment as uh, I first met Coach Bot, or I'll just refer to him as Brian today. Uh, when I was 18 years old, um, I remember the day like it was yesterday. I dropped off my bags um, at the dorm room, and then I think the first thing on my walk-on agenda was to get a lift in at uh, Camp Randall, and I want to say my first memory was doing glute ham raises for the very first time, thinking my hamstrings were just going to rip off the bone. And you were on the other end, probably helping me brace my my core or something of the nature, politely, uh, mother effing me it, with the sweetest look. Very looks politely. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, um, but so close cool. thinking about, about what this meant to me today too. And, and uh, you were a part of a great staff back then. Um, a lot of guys that, whether I knew it or not, were helping me uh, figure out what kind of coaching philosophy I wanted, but then more importantly, the presence that I'd eventually want in a weight room. So, Brian, with you specifically, I remember um, very committed discipline, and you had a great command of the weight room, and you always took guys, I remember, to debrief on the side every single session. Um, So that's something I appreciated about you right away, and to be able to talk shop with you almost 18 years later is pretty, pretty sweet. So. Happy to be here, guys.
1: Hey, Matt. Uh, one big thing, you know, you won a lot of football, had a lot of success at the high school level, Walkshow yeah. West, D2, you know, state championship. That's every high school athlete football player's dream. You also then went to uh, UW-Whitewater, which we all know what kind of Division three football program that is. And I believe it was 2007. You're in the national championship team. So what are some of the things you think in your mind that made those teams so successful?
2: Yeah, great question. I was super fortunate um, to grow up from, from the get-go with a great support network and, and uh, great coaches, great men, teachers at heart, guys that also were dual role teachers in the classroom. And uh, my dad was my first coach in, in flag football when I was in second grade, I think it was. And uh, somebody that just stood up and showed up when uh, nobody else would. So for me, that was my first basic memory of coaching is having my dad, my mom too, every once in a while, coach me in the backyard, and just giving me their time, spending time with me, um, being patient with me. And um, we forget that sometimes um, as, as young athletes, right. That it's a commitment. It's a commitment that people take um, away from their families, you know, on top of their already busy lives. So um whether I like to, to, to know it or not, I was, I understand the value of time spent, you know, with other people. And uh, I grew up in the Waukesha community and I was a part of the first ever youth football program for fifth and sixth graders. And um, again, a guy, I wanna say, ran that, that organization out of the back of his garage. Literally did the equipment handout. Uh, Jim Grasafi was his name for, uh, I think it was Waukesha Youth Football League. Um, and then I, I grew up in that, that youth program through West High School. I had a great support system, a a gym teacher, PE teacher that helped me throughout seventh and eighth grade um, from a foot speed standpoint. And uh, recollecting and looking back to some of those early coaches, middle school alone, pretty crazy for me to think as a performance coach now. um, And having that PE teacher who took a a, a, he, he took his love for teaching sprint work and brought it to the football field. So we would actually start every single session with some type of basic linear speed development, um, some type of agility work, or kinesthetic awareness coordination type work um, as our warm up. So looking back, I was actually, uh, you know, a, a target population for micro dosing. You know, it's a big, big concept nowadays, but um, those were the types of things I was exposed to at an early age. Um, so great man that knew how to teach. Uh, we're looking at things from a different lens as well, you know, using kind of a creative, curious, uh, mindset towards working with kids. And then uh, as I got to high school at Wauksha West, man was I spoiled. Um, my first year as a freshman, we had three Hall of Fame football coaches. Jeff Tricky, um, we call them Old Man Rucks, was the winningest coach at the time, I think in state. And then uh, a guy named Bill Quinn. So three Hall of Fame coaches mentoring us, leading us, teaching um, how to give stronger handshakes, how to do things the right way. Um, One of Coach Tricky's infamous lines was every day inside the lines, the the white lines in between the hashes, it's 70 degrees and sunny. So we have to kind of keep that mindset and and paint that picture for ourselves um, because it is all about mindset. Um, As I escalated to the varsity program, Steve Rucks, who's a former Wisconsin Badger in the 80s, um, has been there for about 20-some years and now a Hall of Fame coach as well. Um, He taught me discipline. I remember uh, Steve hosting seven-on-seven practices um, when We were kids and uh, I missed one practice because I had track practice later that day and um, he got on me. I'll never forget that. And I thought, you know, he won't mind, you know, I'm running my own schedule right now. I'm in season. Um, but he just taught me the value of uh, taking ownership and being committed. I'll never forget him calling my parents phone one morning at about 6, 15 a.m. just to make sure I was up out of bed, you know, on my way the next week. Um, so those little things always stuck with me. And uh, again, like I said earlier, I was so lucky to have guys that were dual role teachers and coaches. So they understood how to be patient with kids. They understood gray area, um, how to manipulate certain variables. They understood human behavior at large. Um, And and I was so spoiled and lucky. And uh, I would say guys that led truly um, from the heart and knew how to coach and teach, Um, but we were committed. They ran a great youth program. From a strength conditioning standpoint that started kids off in, in seventh and eighth grade um so i was seeing through their eyes the under, the the value of the youth program and, and youth models and uh, i think Steve and the west staff has always done a great job of being on the same page from a communication standpoint um with the people below them and beneath them and that has rubbed off on me as well um and uh as we left, you know, Waukesha West in, in such a committed and well-driven program where we had the community support that we had of parents and neighbors and, and people of that nature, um, I got to Madison where like I talked about, my first experience as a walk-on um, was with coaches like Brian Bott. And uh, um, I remember my receivers coach at the time, a guy named Henry Mason, had coached Lee Evans, Chris Chambers, multiple guys. And um, I'll never forget my very first meeting in that classroom with some of the wide receivers. And uh, Henry politely put it to us. Um, it's almost a culture shock for me that, that college football is, it's a business. you know. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of jobs and, and families, their uh, livelihoods are on the line with the decisions we all make. So very fast, I realized as a young guy, as a freshman, that um, we were a part of an ecosystem that was way bigger than us and our choices they impacted everybody from a cultural standpoint um it was important for everybody to be on the same bus you know and have the same shared vision and uh that was a pretty cool year it was a it was a big struggle for me i think as a young man new to the division one uh atmosphere and environment um and uh, from a time commitment standpoint you realize super fast that you have to be a great time manager um And I think the other thing, if I can look back on on some of my faults, you know, as a young coach or sorry, young athlete, um, pass on that wisdom to other kids is um, I made everything into a Super Bowl. You know, my goal of being a Wisconsin kid was to come out there and be the next Jim Leonard. And uh, looking back about 20 years later, I wasn't as physically talented probably as somebody like Jim and just wasn't a football player. Um, But when you wanna live that Rudy Rudiger life and you have minor setbacks, if you're not able to let go of those things, um, they'll eat you alive. So I spent so much time, I'd say that freshman year being super anxious, um, Brian laughed laugh because there was a rule, I'll never forget, you know, if, if it was a 5.45 lift, that lift really started probably about 5.30, you know, 15 minutes early. So I spent many nights like not sleeping cause I was so worried for that alarm clock. You and me um, both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you guys ran such a good ship. I mean, it was such an amazing transitioning conditioning program. Uh, very competitive, very diligent, very committed, precise, I would say. Um, but the big thing for me is, you know, we hear so much about uh, the, the intangible things, being committed, being disciplined. Yes, those things are great, but you have to find middle ground in your life. And uh, I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't able to be patient with myself. I put too much pressure on myself and, uh, you know, pressure will make us or break us. Um, and unfortunately I wouldn't say it broke me, but I wish I would have handled that year a little bit differently. I would have, would have taken more of a long game approach and, uh, but an amazing experience nonetheless. And, um, I decided to transfer out to whitewater and, uh, spent the next three years there with, with uh, great teammates and we were able to win a national championship game. But, um, looking back on my college career, learned a lot of lessons, but as a coach now, I was so fortunate because, um, I was able to be a part of, I think it was almost four different staffs. We had, uh, Bielema, or, uh, excuse me, Alvarez, his last, his last season, I was part of that staff. And from him, I learned, um, how to, how to manage, you know, I didn't, I didn't see Barry, if you can re- recollect to Brian coach too much, right. But he put a lot of trust in his assistants, and he put the right people in the right places. Um, and he was able to back away. And he probably understood from a big game approach, how all these different people fit together. Um, and again, his, his mark may be on Wisconsin athletics at large is being awesome from a booster standpoint, from b- bringing people in and, bringing the right people in to grow that business at large. Um, he, uh, he obviously retired and let uh, Brett take over or signed Brett to take over. And uh, Brett, I remember my short time with him was very much so a player's coach. He uh, was the guy that knew how to talk to every demographic and every population. People also respected him because he um, played in his own right. He had a walk on success story at Iowa and uh, he was a big personality, knew how to recruit. Um, as I got to whitewater again, I think, uh, Bob Breswitz was already a legend. He was on his last, his last season as well. When I was a redshirt freshman at whitewater, um, was somebody that man, 20 years later, I still see it. He is beloved by all of his former players. And, uh, he really gets the community. He really gets the brotherhood. Um, I see him commenting on Facebook every once in a while. He's just invested in people's lives for the good. And that was a great takeaway for me. Um, you know, that I still, you know, get to see and watch from afar. And then uh, when he left, Lance Leipold took over, who is now arguably one of the top 25 coaches, you know, some are saying top 50 of all time. And Lance, I remember my first year, you know, came in, you know, with, with the whip and uh, ran a really tight ship, you know, wanted to come in that way from a leadership standpoint. um, So we could eventually draw back the reins a little bit as as he moved through his career at Whitewater. Um, But I'll never forget, he said to us, we're going to take more reps than any other team in the country. And I shit you not, I guarantee we did. I mean, I'm talking about my, my, uh, I felt like I had shin splints in my femurs after about two weeks of practicing in fall camp. (laughs) And, uh, it was insane, but, uh, what do we say? Uh, I'll paraphrase that line. Um, repetition is, is the mother of learning or mother of practice. Um, hopefully I didn't screw that up, but, we took so many reps and uh, it was that mentality that we're gonna outwork people, um, which you know maybe now with fatigue and load management, we're backing away from that. Um, but there was attention to detail, there was a commitment and he took more of that division one level approach to the division three level. And um, the rest is history for him. Again, a guy that knew how to put the right people in the right places and um, you know, would never embarrass a program more than anything too. So that was what we appreciated about Lance
0: that's awesome gift I mean just it's, there's a lot of who's who in college football
2: yeah yeah it's, you know it's, I mean? it's
0: incredible for me that's awesome you know yeah.
2: even looking back as a walk on the guys that I got to share that that locker room with yeah doing some amazing things you know like a couple of guys you're training right now Joe Tom and Ben Strickland some of those guys quality men amazing amazing athletes and legends you know yeah. it's it's nuts to think about it
0: yeah I know it, you, you kind of got to pinch yourself every now and then you know things like that. So going through that gift, when, when do you think like you decided that being a performance coach was something you want to do? I mean, a lot of guys, you know, especially from a, from a male perspective, right. They go through the sport they play. Oh yeah. They want to coach the sport. You know what I mean? And I know like from my perspective, like the recruiting part of it was the thing I didn't want to do. Like, I I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to work with athletes, but when like, for you, was it something like him really into this? I'm really into the development of the athletes, you know, because I think, I, I feel you and I both believe not only from a physical standpoint, but from a mental and a holistic standpoint, how you develop young men and women. When do you think that that kind of, that switch flipped for you? And you're kind of like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I, I had a couple aha
2: moments. So grew up was as one of those young, young persons that was obsessed with sports and statistics. Um, and in the 96 Olympic games, I got to watch Uh, donovan bailey break the 100 meter dash world record and then um michael johnson break the 200 meter dash world record so it was uh i mean speed was obviously the premise that summer and um it was being marketed they even did a match race later that summer with uh bailey and johnson in a 150 meter race
0: then johnson fake a hamstring injury yeah
2: that's it (laughs) it was on nbc yeah um And, uh, so looking back on that, you know, I, I loved, uh, football, loved Sterling Sharp and playing wide receiver as a young football guy. And, um, I remember, you know, just as a young guy, probably nine, 10 years old, the electricity, the energy, um, that was really unique. You know, their bodies were like machines and I, you know, maybe it's one of the things that's captivated me on sprint speed. You can just, it's something you can see, right. There's a clear cut winner usually. And, uh, for me it was also aggressive in nature right a lot of guys were pimp walking up and down the line you know showboating and puffing their chest out so um i'll never forget that race and that series and that kind of started kind of like oh wow the sprinting thing is pretty unique and pretty cool and uh i didn't realize my parents were my parents and i didn't have those genetics so that would severely severely limit me in my pursuit to being a world record holder um but i started researching so um again, lucky to be in that era where the dial up internet became available, you know, to households in 98, 99. And I would spend uh my allotted time every night, maybe it was a half hour at 8:30 or nine when we had to shut the phone down, to look up or Google sprint training. And um right along that time, too, um, if you think about it, I think was when ESPN would uh showcase NFL combine training, yep. like every blue moon in January and February. And, um, so I started to watch some of these training programs take off and, uh, that was super unique for me. And then, um, I still tell the story to my kids when I was uh, in seventh grade, my uh, dad ordered sports illustrated and, uh, we had a subscription. So there was an article with Norma, Mar Garcia par on the front cover and, um, shirt off, he's flexing. He had, I thought they were love handles. His obliques were so, so prominent and strong as a rotational athlete. And I remember looking through the magazine, they were talking about his off-season training program, and he trained out with athletes' performance. And um, so I was like, wow, you can, you can coach athletes and train athletes for a living. So um, those were my, my first aha moments. And I just started you know, as a young internet researcher looking up certain things to do. And um, I thought the private world might be a cool spot for me. And then I definitely, when I got to UW as a freshman, realized, man, like there is multiple industries for strength and conditioning and for performance training. Um, so at that time, I was just trying to figure out, well, do I want to be a private guy or do I want to be a college strength coach like the guys here at UW? So right then, yeah, for me, it was like I, I loved working out, loved lifting, and I want to get better as an athlete. So it was, for me, a passion.
1: Hey, Giff, we're all uh, big advocates of younger athletes playing multiple sports. Yep. That's a big message on a lot of our podcasts and with our guests that we've had on the podcast already, but explain why you feel that's so important for athletes, not to specialize in one sport, especially at a very young age.
2: I think it's critical um, probably almost from a three prong standpoint. Um, Number one, let's just talk physiology and and the physical aspect of it. Um, I think when we specialize especially with specific sports, I'm not going to go on a uh, crusade here of of any sport, but um, we fall into the physical patterns that that sport might be biased towards. So maybe it's straight line, maybe it's going to be small area movement, maybe it's going to be to more strain. So I would say at large, from a coordinative standpoint, you know, we like to use that term robust. It's just going to help our kids develop robustness at large. Um, expose them to different motor skills, different movements, different rhythms, coordination patterns. Um, and I look at it, you know, the big three or four, uh, baseball, basketball, football, awesome sports. Um, I wasn't exposed to wrestling as a young man, but I see the value in it. And if, if my wife and I have a boy, I'm definitely going to immerse him into some type of wrestling program for at least a year to taste it. Uh, you're looking at level change how to manipulate your body in space, how to be aggressive, all eyes around you on the map. It's uncomfortable. Um, I think those are huge, huge lessons for kids to learn at such an early age as well. Um, so for me, I think the physical aspect of it, it can do awesome things. It can keep them away sometimes from bad programs. Um, I'd like to say there's, there's great things that, that we do here with ethics, sports performance, but we also have our own biases here. So if you're spending six months in a gym, um, you're probably going to see some leaks, you know, you, you may not be moving multi for certain sports. Um, you look at some of, some of our sporting system models and, uh, you'll again have biases, but then you'll also have behavioral biases as well. Right. Um, you may, neglect the need to be an individual and to learn how to have those lights on you, or you might neglect the need to be a part of a cooperative team. Um, I think another, another big reason, obviously, besides just uh, keeping things fresh for the kids is man, if we play multiple sports, I get to expose my kids to multiple personalities, to different coaches, um, to different community members. They have different styles. You know, I think all too often we have, I hear stories of horror stories. I should say of kids, um, where they quit a sport because of that one coach. Well, you just gave up on that sport because of that one guy, right? Um, but there also might be different sports persons in, in different sports that might um cue a different curiosity, right? You might fall in love with that sport just because of that coach. So I think it's super awesome for kids um, from a learning standpoint, from a behavioral standpoint. Again, if we want to make many many leaders, we need to have exposure to different mindsets, different personalities. Um for us, it's, you know, if you, if you see everything as a, as a, what do we call it? Nail. You only have one, one, uh, toolbox utensil. So for, for me, I think we look at it, keeps things fresh from a coordinative standpoint, huge, then behaviorally, it's going to be really, really important for them to be underneath different types of leaders as well.
0: Do you guys agree? What's that? That's That's good. Good. Yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, you know, I'm a parent and, and, you know, I'm looking at, you know, ethics, sports performance, um, you know, what, Do you know, what am I going to expect when I bring my kids there? You know, I want to, I, I got, you know, I got division one kids that are going to come train with you, you know, <laughs> no, I mean, but you know, like what, what, what should our listeners expect when they come there, you know, bring their kids there to train and the atmosphere and the, the philosophy, stuff like that. Well, we, we definitely want to meet every individual where they're at, wherever they're at in their walk of life,
2: uh, with their sporting experience, we want to meet them where they're at. Um, so you know, parents come to us usually from a word of mouth standpoint and they're looking for some type of edge to steal your line. Um, Boy, I like that. <laughs> I, I had to do it. They're looking for some type of edge and uh, it might be, you know, against their competition, but usually it's, you know, a chance to improve upon some type of skill set or some type of metric. So whether it's speed, whether it's strength, whether it's confidence, whatever it may be. Um, but it's my goal first and foremost just to meet them where they're at, wherever they're at. And that means, you know, uh, with the assessment process, figuring out what their strengths are, what their problems are. Um, and from there, it just, it kind of begins the game of, of uh, problem solving. And um, we want kids to always want to come back here. This should be a very inviting home. It should be a fun environment. But with that being said, it should never supplant the discipline, the work and the results. Um, so for me, you know, I used to have, uh, great, you know, elevators, pitches and and one lines, but we truly um, here at Ethic, we live life together and we set a high standard of excellence. And for me, um, it's about the journey. And I've always said, uh, specifically to interns, this is an R-squared business, results and relationships. And we wanna do both here. You know, we want this place to be a a safe place, a place uh, where kids know they're gonna be loved, but also know they're gonna be pushed. we want to be a, a place where we're true seekers. We're trying to figure out, you know, uh, what is it, is it that we lack or we need to get better at or p- improve upon? And uh, so feedback, you know, is obviously so crucial with our business. Um, and from a result standpoint, you know, we want to obviously take in certain metrics. Um, you know, we want to be able to track things, but not at nauseum. You know, we want to be process oriented. And uh, I think the big thing that I always talk about with parents is, my job isn't to make your kid two or three tenths faster. It's first and foremost to teach your son or daughter, um, whether it be a technical model, whether it be um, you know certain foundational movements and, and foundational concepts. That's my goal first and foremost. If you can commit, you're going to see some results. Um, so I'm very adamant, you know, that that uh, this needs to be a consistent spot for children and for adults at large. Um, But I also, you know, to be honest with you as an insurance policy, there's always going to be a level of uncertainty, right? We don't know where this journey is going to take, you know, both parties. Um, But what we do know is if uh, you hit certain metrics and you're consistent, good things will happen.
1: Hey, Giff, most high schools now have some kind of weight training program. Yep. You know, and you always get them athletes that have that big dream of playing at, at the D1 level, just like yourself, you know, when you went to Wisconsin and Those are highly motivated individuals that are always looking to do more, 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 more. And now that individual works out at their high school and now they come to you because they want to get that edge. Yeah. How do you go about that with the athlete and, you know, like their parents? Because we know a lot of parents can be way overboard and we know sometimes more isn't the best answer. So how do you really um, work with those individuals that are really trying to become better?
2: Um, great question. This is something that I interface with every single week, um, especially at the football level, right? We see that most, I think when working with football athletes, where the demand is to be in that weight room or that environment two to four days a week. And, uh, first and foremost, it's to be honest, you know, like we talked about, we use that assessment process as a sales pitch, but it's also showing us what we need to work on. Um, but this may surprise you. I'm never afraid to turn people away. And that might be just saying, Hey, Well, you're a two-sport athlete right now. You're doing some football stuff in the weight room playing basketball. You know, maybe this isn't the right time to get in here because you can't be as consistent or committed. Or maybe we just find a couple of sessions when the workload is down where we can work on technical things or teaching points to help you get more out of what you're already doing. So the big thing for me is, is being honest and then looking for those problems that we talked about, you know, finding certain solutions. Um, I think you always have to have clear cut lines of communication that might be with the support staff uh, at the high school, sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, but what I find is, oftentimes, you know, I'll try to piggyback what they're doing by filling in the gaps with things I know they probably aren't doing. That might be certain single leg exercises, butt hamstring work, upper back things, you know, the non near muscles, we might call it. Um, so looking at a lot of limiting factors. Um, as, as you guys know, and as I know too, work in a team setting as well here, when you have large groups, you have to make things scalable and there are certainly things you're just going to miss. Um, and the same goes from a teaching standpoint. So I try to, you know, uh, let parents know that I'm, I'm here as a resource. I am not an end all be all, you know, I'm kind of in the position where I'll take whatever I can get. If it's one day a week with kids, great. You know, if it's every other week on a Saturday and we can just refresh on certain things that we've worked on or key concepts, awesome. And sometimes it is three to four days a week. Um, It just really depends on on who I'm interfacing with and who I'm working with, Uh, but it all starts with being honest. And uh, for me, again, I'm never afraid to tell people no, or never afraid to say, hey, I know you wanna come two or three days a week, but I think you're gonna be okay with one. Let's just make sure we have some take homes for the things you're doing away from here. That might be with their mobility routine, pre-lift or post-lift, after practice, what have you. So I see myself often as, as a teacher, but a gap filler as well.
1: You know, GIF, we have a lot of athletes that go down to that um, Wisconsin Football Coaches Association Combine, and it's down in yep. the area at Sussex yep. indoor facility. So is that something that you do for, you know, to help individuals like do a little crash course, do a quick clinic, do some sessions on, you know, how to prepare those athletes for those tests that they do at the Combines?
2: Yeah, I I definitely uh, will probably start something like that uh, this winter. Um, But the big thing and that kids need to really know is you should be working on those concepts year round in some way, shape or form, transferable things. So if you're doing it right at the high school level or with whatever program you're at, you're teaching kids how to bend their knees, how to extend their hips, how to hold body positions. Um, And you're seeing, you know, you're micro dosing that repetition without repetition, other areas. Um, of, you know, the sports setting. So um, we definitely want to help with those things. But I think parents often have to understand, you know, you're not going to be an expert in one day or two weeks. You know, it's you have to invest time and it's compounding interest there. Um, and I know, it, you know, from my own practice as an athlete, and then obviously throughout my days working with combine athletes, whether it's the high school level or college pro, um, it, it's a hair ripping activity. Right. You're trying to fit a lot of square pegs and around holes with these different drills. Um, and then, not to mention, man, whether it's the, the WFCA combine, you know, so combines or 60 yard dash showcases, there are so many variables that go into these things. So, we are so metric driven, I think, especially at the early age, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade, we're wearing about 60 times and across the infield throws. Um, yeah. It might be a different surface everywhere you're working it might be a different timing system. I've seen kids cheat systems. So it's incredible. You know, oftentimes with the assessment process, when I'm taking metrics and marks, I tell families, I don't even trust my own watch. So I can't trust somebody else's in some other time system.
0: Well, I think too, with those combines too, Gift. I think you hit on the head, like there's no, you know, substantial, like this is what we're gonna run on this, you know, we're gonna do it all in fours you know, we're going to run on turf. I mean, we have, you know, just like you do with baseball players and softball players and doing all, you know, those are kind of the bigger ones because they're all over the country right now. Right. And, you know, you, you'll get kids that'll come back and all, oh, we ran the outfield grass and well, this, you know, this other group ran in the turf. Well, we know that one time is probably going to be faster than the other one. Totally. And, and, and you're talking about, you know, some of these kids, I and mean, we've trained some of the same kids, you know you're talking about the possibility to make millions of dollars based on that time oh you know? my god and, and you know you you're doing it with a 17 year old kid versus a 22 year old man at, at in indianapolis you know but these these high school kids that have the opportunity to get drafted out of high school and you're running them in a the dirt infield i mean it's like we're not doing these kids any favors by not you know standardizing any of that stuff
2: no i, I think that's a that's an absolutely great point um, you wish there was some type of accreditation process or some type of global leader that people had to check off that box or be a right. part of to get these things done. And, you know, we've seen it for years, you know, you, especially at the college level, Brian, and, and maybe Dean, your kids were doing this, the rivals camps, for instance, man, you could have a thousand kids show up at 250 bucks a pop. I think parents need to know their, their moneymaker events for the most part. Um, I think the WFCA does a great job, amazing job of providing a great resource um, it's been pretty consistent throughout the years at Sussex Hamilton. Um, and I would definitely say they've made that a very attractive option. One that for the most part, I trust as a coach, um, a great staff that runs it. Um, but across the board, yeah, it's, it's sometimes, you know, it's not quite apples to oranges, you know, so it's, it's, it's unique. And uh, this year I saw some of my kids go down to Florida, Jupiter and, there was a young man that ran 5.9 in the 60-yard dash it was. this kid's a flyer. He might have actually been close to capable of that. But then I saw, I want to say it was like 10 kids running underneath 6.25 in a 60, which is usually you got one guy a year doing that. So you have to kind of, you know, bat an eye a little bit at that and, and figure out, you know, man, maybe this was downhill. Maybe this was an extremely hard AstroTurf. Maybe kids had a flyer, a half-yard flyer into these timing gates. So it's super inconsistent. Um, the big thing is, yeah, you, you're trying to trust these results, but it's about teaching. And I think the other thing is to use that from a, a, a sales pitch standpoint is, man, does he look better? Does he pass the eye test now? Is he more efficient with what he's doing from uh, a
0: movement standpoint? So gift the you know the title of the podcast is we've established is Get Your Edge. <laughs> yeah. Um, What advice would you have to like a high school athlete who wants to get a competitive advantage, you know, over, you know, some of his friends so you know, his competition stuff like that. What's, what's something maybe that if you had to go back and do it again, that, that you would definitely, one thing that you would definitely focus on as a high school athlete based on what you know now. Great question. Um, Something I'm always talking
2: to my, my kids about uh, when I look at the, the great ones that I've seen um, either firsthand or from afar, and I think the best athletes, most successful people in life across any industry are very curious per personalities. Um, they're looking for ways to get better that not everybody else, you know, they're going down alleys. Other people aren't willing to go. So curiosity is an, is, is an incredible advantage. You know, what areas of my game can I improve upon or what areas, you know, that I wasn't even thinking right now exist to help me. Um, I'll never forget that, that, that word curiosity. I read an article about Kobe Bryant um, and uh, this a couple of years back before he passed and he spent some time with, uh, of all people, Michael Jackson. And Michael Jackson said, Kobe, your curiosity is your greatest gift. You have to look elsewhere besides basketball on ways to improve, other people to pull things from. Um, so I'd say for the younger kids, stay curious and uh, look for honest feedback you know, look for the people that are going to figure out what you're limited in. You know, if you want to grow, you have to figure out what your weaknesses are. Um, And then the other thing is it's consistency. I think there's levels of consistency and, um, some of the most consistent kids I work with, they still got to grow in that category, you know? So you're always looking Mm -hmm. for different things and different layers to peel back from a consistency and discipline standpoint. And, uh, consistency is not a, two hour a week thing, you know, it's a, it's a 24 seven thing. And, um, I say, uh, it's, it's consistent with the littlest of things because that's going to reflect on the bigger things. So whether it's eating right, whether it's sleeping at night, uh, those things are obviously huge. Um, you know, uh, the easy things are really easy to do. And they're also really easy not to do. So for me, Um, It always comes back to that people say they want to do it, but their actions might tell us otherwise. So being consistent, investing time in the areas that are not as glitzy and glamorous, maybe as an athlete in the performance world, that's mobility work. Um, Maybe that's staying away from from the wrong things. Um, But those are really big. And I think uh, we all have to have mentors in this life and people we look up to. So figure out who's great in your field and why they're great and try to pattern yourself off, off of them.
0: That's great. Cause I got two of them right here. <laughs> nice.
1: Hey, we got a lot of uh, strength coaches that, you know, are listening to the podcast. And one of the big things that they always get when we start talking about program design is you'll have lots of different multiple sport athletes in the week yeah. at one time and different sport teams and, you know everybody seems to want you know a specific program for soccer and volleyball and softball and, and football, etc. So, you know, what what advice would you give for those sport coaches that are dealing with that situation? Because I know that's a question that's brought up to me a lot. And yeah, as far as training and a lot of I know parents think, you know, hey, my kid just plays baseball, you know, he needs a baseball specific oh, yeah. workout program. So uh, just kind of explain some of those things that we just talked about there.
2: Well, you know, I come from the analogy. There's, there's nothing more sports specific, obviously, than playing that sport itself or that activity itself. So, um, even if you're a, a sprinter, right, you can't run a hundred meter dash with seven different opponents every single day of every single week. So, um, for me, it's again figuring out how to make your environment scalable. But then understanding, too, the, the, the need to specialize is dictated by training age. Um, and I would say, you know, their level of eliteness, you know, the way the way you train, obviously, an NFL wide receiver like Alex Erickson, who Brian and I have worked with, is going to be a lot different than the way we train that same kid when he's 12 years old. And uh, I think um, the the classic name we'd all, you know, have looked up to or read some of the stuff uh, Bonnerchuk talks about, um, specialized training or specific tasks. And then general training at a young age, you know, there's so much carryover with your basic things. Um, but it's all how you sell it, you know, to certain kids, if you can sell it correctly, you know, why is a split squad important for a softball athlete or soccer athlete, you know? Um, so you have to be able to sell, but I think when I give some of my elevator pitches to, to parents, coaches and athletes, if you look at field sport, court sport, athletes, There's a few simple concepts that transfer to all these different sports. And we have to, if you think within space, be able to bend the knees to absorb force, to level change, to cut. We have to be able to extend the hips, to produce force, to sprint, jump, uh, maneuver ourselves into opponent or away from opponent. We have to be able to absorb force or uh, how I should say that, uh, resist force, right, stabilize. Then we might need to rotate. Um, We might need to push and pull we might need to carry something every once in a while, and then we might need to turn, disassociate. And then you look at fatigue. We have to do that underneath fatigue at at different layers of of a fatigue standpoint. Um, So when you explain it that way, I think using that simple concept and paradigm, you can relate a lot of different sports to it. And uh, again, for us, it's how we sell it. Um, I think the big thing is uh, giving kids a model to chase after, but also then if you're lucky to have athletes from an upper echelon standpoint, um, give your younger kids a window in how they train and they'll realize, wait, I'm, I'm doing some of the same darn things. You know, this looks a lot like that. But I
0: think, you know, uh, Buddy Morris, obviously a very, very high profile NFL strength coach for years. Um, One of the things he said was, you know, strength and conditioning at, at its purest form is really just GPP for the body to get ready to play your sport. You know, you're trying to prepare the athlete to get coached. And and we get that question too. A lot is like, we're the go-between. Yeah. We're the go-between between, between, you know, their development and their sport coach. So, you know, we always tell parents, hey, and and coaches, hey, we're just trying to give you a better product for next year to work with and develop and mold, you know, and I've always gone by the line, you know, what can we do and what can't we do to allow the athletes to do what they do at a high level, you know, no, you know what I mean?
2: Great thoughts. It's, it's funny the way you, we're seeing the industry kind of change in some of these um, different concepts that are being popularized. So now, you know, with agility at large and the perception reaction models we're seeing from some great practitioners, um, I think we need to figure out how to microdose certain situations like that in the sessions. But where I see it, most of my kids are getting year-round sporting activity one to four times a week, you know, with all the different teams they're working at, So they're already interfacing with those concepts. Um, and the other thing is, you know, if you look at, I think the maturity, uh, you know, with, with growing up in the industry, I know when I was 22 as a young coach, for me it was, yeah, I knew introduction was a thing, but it's all performance. You know, you want people to get faster, stronger, more powerful, and you forget that, that athlete health is most important. So just from an injury reduction standpoint, you have to have certain things and they might be strength driven that are definitely going to help our kids, um, be sustainable. And then from there, yeah, it's, it's, it's readiness and and you just said it, get them ready for their sport. You know, um, there's, there's not one metric if you really look at it. Yeah. We love speed. Speed's important, but there's not one metric that's going to say, Hey, because this metric is really high in them they're gonna be a winner you know they're gonna do amazing things on the quarter field so it's taking that holistic approach and uh, it's also understanding that um, you know you're not a god you know you can't literally it's it's some of these kids talents on their own and some of the things they're doing away from you and how do you fit in
0: so gift we got a couple minutes left here yeah um, where did hashtag speed mafia come from oh my gosh that's funny <laughs> I get I actually no I got
2: I got family that will still bust on me with that one. So <laughs> yeah. they love it. So, um, I think when, when, uh, the social media game started to take off, I, uh, grew up with the speed kills, uh, yeah. marketing ploys yeah. everywhere. And, um, uh, before speed mafia, actually, I was trying to, I was trying to do a, my Jamaican sprint team. Cause I knew I'd never be a coach to Usain Bolt or a team yeah. down there, but this could be my Jamaican sprint team, but speed mafia for me was okay. Speed kills. I want to develop a community that's based on speed, so yep. we'll call it the Speed Mo- Speed Mafia. And then, uh, if if you reach a certain level and you're willing to kill, you're a Speed Assassin.
0: So, that's
2: awesome. corny as heck. But I think when I pay for my daughter's education someday with the
0: apparel line I'm about to start, I'll be the one laughing. <laughs> there <laughs> you go. Great. There you go. There you go. Well, GIF, it's been been fantastic to have you on. I mean, um, you know, I just as a, as a mentor for me now too, it's really special to watch guys who uh, are taking our profession to the next level. And, you know, hopefully our relationship continues to grow. Yeah. Um, I know Dean feels the same way. You know, you're a leader in our profession. You are a a, a trendsetter in our state and the kids that are with you, the kids that are about to be with you are very blessed because they're going to get a lot more than just a decrease 40 times. When they go train with you as an ethics sports performer, so you know those of you listening, we'll have all of Matt's contact information in our show notes, so you can get a hold of him, and you know get over there with him and and start getting after it. He's he's one of the best. There's no doubt about it. So, gift we appreciate having you on. Dino uh, Fox Valley Throws Club starts back up June or uh, January 9th. Hopefully, Dino be off his crutches by then, so he can actually coach his kids. Um, And then obviously, you know, if you're in the Madison area, obviously Sports Advantage, we'd love to have you guys come through. We got our Black Friday sales coming up here um, and whatnot through the holidays. So this is going to end this episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. Again, hit replay multiple times because you're going to get a ton of nuggets from Coach Gifford and what he's doing. And we will see you next time. Chop it!